With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Rolling Thunder podcast brought to you by Welcome to Loud City. I am Ben Mertens. I am joined by my fellow Welcome to Loud Cityites, J.D. Taylor, Trey Hunter, and Clemente. We are fresh off watching um, a pretty terrible game for the Thunder against the Atlanta Hawks here, and they also had a bad game on uh, Tuesday night against the Bulls. I got to tell you guys, normally I uh, I like basketball to kind of be my my distraction, my release from the uh, you know the rest of the world, the monotonies of day to day life. But uh, these last two games have actively made my life worse. These were uh, not very fun to watch. Um, let's start with uh, why don't you go first, Trey? Just general kind of takeaways from these two, these two kind of ugly losses over the last uh, week, take it wherever you want. Yeah. I, I think most of it is just, you know, the Thunder just tinkering, tinkering away here after the all-star break, kind of, you know, talking about development. That's kind of been the mantra of the team. And, you know, that's the, they didn't start Teo tonight. Um, started Poku, started a different five, a little bit bigger lineup. Um, so I think they're just kind of messing around and, developing, um, searching. Uh, I can't remember what Dagnall said the other night, but, you know, just trying to figure out what they have uh, long-term, you know. So uh, I'm not sure they're really so much worried about the results, but so, uh, as much as, you know, the little things, the little games within the games, especially the last two, you know, last two games, it's kind of been evident. Um, the Bulls game, you know, not having Lou out there, um, you could tell Levine wanted to go off. He got the Bulls going. Um, tonight the Thunder kind of had a bad start and never really recovered. So, you know, a couple of bad losses, but overall they've been playing good. I thought the, uh, the starting lineup was an interesting idea. I don't think those five guys have ever started before. Um, definitely not because Poku's never started with the three before, but it was, uh, SGA, Dort, Poku, Horford, Roby, whichever of the, I guess Horford's technically the center, Roby's technically the power forward. Um, it didn't look very good, I think, for a bunch of reasons, right? The three-point shooting isn't really there across that lineup. Dort's below average. Poku thinks he's an elite three-point shooter, but uh, isn't yet at, at the NBA level, at least. Horford can shoot threes, but he needs time to gather. And um, Roby is willing to take threes, I think. But you especially saw when Roby was in the corner, the Hawks were pretty content to just jam the lane when SGA would drive um, and leave Roby to take threes, and he wasn't really able to punish them for that. And I thought SGA just kind of looked a little off until that third quarter explosion. But in the first half, he just didn't didn't quite look like uh, his normal self. And if he's not himself in that starting lineup, I just don't think there's a ton of other options. You know, Horford and Poku kind of had some high-low stuff that they did a couple times. Um, Dort tried to drive it himself a couple times, and that didn't really work in this game. I thought Capella actually kind of really screwed with the Thunder in this game. There was that play, I think, in the pretty early in the first quarter where Poku had – a chance at a layup. He saw Capella was lurking there. He just kind of tossed up this bad floater that uh, didn't go in. He looked a little spooked of him and Capella had some other nice plays in there. So yeah, SGA kind of got going in the third quarter, but by that point it was too late in the defense. Uh, I mean, the Hawks just shot the lights out. JD, any, uh, any other thoughts on this one? 
I think the only real the thing I've mostly took away from it was I thought the ball movement was a bit too like the ball was sticking a little bit too much. Mm. It wasn't really moving around that clearly, uh, cleanly. And I thought that there was a lot of sort of lateral movement without much going north south. The ball seemed to be sort of circulating around the perimeter, or, uh, you know, it sort of someone would hold on to it for five six seconds without really moving. And it's too easy for the Hawks to defend. They can just sort of sit there quite set. And when they actually ball does move, they can make you know a relatively easy rotation. The Thunder have got to get better at moving the ball around. They don't have necessarily the talent to beat people into in isolation. So ball, ball movement is key to actually running like a successful offense. It's something that Mark has to get back to focusing on. Yeah, I think um, right. You said and the only person who can go north south kind of without the help of like a team structure is SGA in the starting lineup at least, right? And he wasn't really able wasn't really doing that effectively until the third quarter. And I've kind of liked on the second units this year that they have been able to kind of, and without someone who can just kind of break down the defense by themselves, they've found ways around that with ball movement and passing. It's looked better on the second unit. Like um, I think Kenrick Williams is um, a good ball mover. I think Justin Jackson is a good ball mover on the second unit, but in the starting unit, it, it wasn't really there uh, tonight, especially, but um, yeah, they just looked like they were waiting for something to happen a lot of the time and something wasn't really happening. Um, Clemente, you got any takeaways from these two, uh, these two fun games? Uh, I think Sam's getting exactly what he wants from these two games. I mean, we've been seeing for the past couple of weeks now, like guys have been coming on and off the injury report with like these minor injuries. And like for the last couple of weeks now, it's been like basically a new set of guys every night when it comes to the starting lineup and who's playing. And I think Sam is finally homing in and, and uh, putting his foot down when it comes to like OKC losing games, and you're seeing that now, especially with a lot of, a lot of the young guys playing major minutes like uh, Poku, Jerome, and Brown since they returned from the G League. I think you're seeing some of the veterans like Muscala, who's probably been like OKC's second best best second best bench player this season, who's basically not playing at all. So I think Sam, I think Sam's doing this uh, purposely, uh, listing guys with like these mysterious injuries, and basically sneakily taking the second half of the season. Yeah, um, to that point too, we saw um, most obviously in this game. I think since it happened, the effects of the Hamadou Diallo trade, right? Like sometimes, certainly he wasn't changing the outcome every game, but Diallo would sometimes come with the second unit, bring you some energy, do some of his own self. Uh, Shot creation, obviously, he's not there anymore. And the guy who replaced him, Shima Halyuk, did uh, nothing in this game. He took, I think, two shots and he missed them both. And I'm, I'm looking at the box where he played 16 minutes. I didn't realize it was that high. I remember when they inserted him because it was the first time he played for the, the Thunder this season. Um, but he made pretty much no impact on the game, which, to your point, I think Presti is, is totally okay with as he tries to uh, increase the odds as much as possible for the uh, – for the Thunder's draft pick and hopes that uh, the Rockets keep continuing to uh, be pretty bad because we might end up with their draft pick too. So I think unless anyone has anything else about those uh, two games, I mean, like Clemente said, this is kind of what the Thunder wants to be happening at this point in the season. Yeah. I think it's interesting, you know, the, the team seems to be tanking, you know, that's kind of the narrative anyways, mm-hmm. to try to get in that top five. Um, but I think it's more, like what Dagnall said the other night, you know, letting wins fall where they fall, you know, but at the same time, they're focused more on long-term goals, like developing these players and developing this roster. Um, Falling into the top five, like Clemente said, I think that's just going to be a benefit of how the season plays out. 
Um, you know, it's pretty obvious they're not going to have the most ping pong balls. They're probably not going to be one of the top three teams. Um, but I do think that you're right, Clemente, and what they're and what you're saying is <clears throat> Presti is kind of getting what he wants and being able to see these different lineups, being able to see Moses Brown play more minutes, um, Poku obviously starting, Teo playing in in and out of the starting lineup. Um, those things are just going to benefit this team long term, no matter who they add in the draft. Yeah, I think that's almost two sides of the same coin, right? Like from um, one perspective, it's oh, the Thunder are. Uh, tanking from the other side it's they're playing their they're focusing on player development but um it kind of comes to the same thing right because Moses Brown and Poku at this point in their careers aren't contributing to uh winning basketball so whether you say we're focusing on developing those guys or you uh whisper under your breath we're trying to lose more games um then results the same thing right if you play Poku Moses Brown guys like that at this stage in their careers they're not really contributing to winning and Mike Muscala who Again, it's weird to say that Mike Muscal is uh, contributing more to winning basketball than any NBA player, but he's actually been pretty good in Oklahoma City, and obviously he's absent. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually uh, has played his last game for Oklahoma City with the trade deadline coming up next week and him shooting pretty well. And, you know, I think a lot of uh, teams could use his help on the margins more than a team like Oklahoma City, whose goals are not for the playoffs this coming season. And uh, speaking of the trade deadline, Oklahoma City had its second uh, trade of the season this week. Um, Oklahoma City sent out Trevor Ariza, who many listeners may forget actually was technically a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder, having never suited up in a game for them. Sent him to the Miami Heat in exchange for uh, persona non grata Myers Leonard and a 2027 seventh round pick, a second round pick, excuse me. Um, so not the most earth shattering trade, but let's, let's chat about that for a few minutes. Um, Clemente, you went last on the game. So you, you go first on this one. What'd you, what do you think about that trade? I think it's true. It was more about the draft pick than it was about Myers Leonard. And I think we all expect Myers Leonard to be bought out if he's not traded again before the March 25th deadline. I mean, I like the trade. I mean, it's better than the alternative of like simply buying Ariza out and letting him sign wherever. I mean, Percy was able to get something out of basically nothing. Ariza was never going to step foot uh, in Oklahoma City to play uh, for the Thunder. So they were able to uh, get something for a player that was never going to play for them. And a second round pick in 2027, uh, I mean... Who knows what the draft looks like from them, but like like I said earlier, it's uh it's better than the alternative of not having anything to show for Ariza. Yeah, to that point, Leonard, I enjoyed the uh, Thunder using Woj as like a unofficial spokesperson when the trade got announced. Like ten seconds after the tweet announcing the trade, Woj had a follow up tweet that uh, Myers Leonard will not uh, be playing for the Oklahoma City <laughs> Thunder. I think the Thunder, from a PR perspective, wanted to get that out there as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, getting something for Ariza, who was a throw-in in one of the bunch of trades that um, Presti made this summer. I mean, most second-round picks don't amount to anything. Um, I bet, honestly, this second-round pick probably gets traded at some point, right? Because Presti has all these other picks. At some point, he's going to make kind of a cash-in trade when he has a better idea of what the team uh, looks like. And generally, second-round picks kind of just get thrown into grease the wheels and trades like that. But it's, I believe it's Houston's 2027 second-rounder. Houston... I mean, they stink this year. Maybe they'll be better in seven years, but Tillman Fertitta might still on the team then, and he's still going to be cheap then. So the Rockets might still stink then, and maybe it's a pretty good second-round pick. Um, JD or Trey, do you guys have any other thoughts on this trade? I know it's not, again, not the most earth-shattering trade, but... Go ahead, JD. I think the only thing which I thought was that the return is very little, Mm -hmm. but then in the past we've seen 
that this is a relationships league in terms of how GMs and executives and, you know, if you have a solid relationship or with a certain GM, you might get slightly more favourable outcomes. And potentially that could feed into this sort of trade and stuff. The return was so little, but Miami picked up a reason for next to nothing. And then they got a big problem off their cap sheet. I mean, quite frankly, Mars Leonard is an issue for them because Mickey Arizon is Jewish. The Miami Heat are, you know, have a lot of, have a quite a big Jewish uh, portion of their fan base. You get rid of Myers Leonard, that's an issue solved. And Presti's kind of done them a solid there for what it is. So perhaps then maybe that feeds into it. But honestly, I'm not too certain. Mm. Yeah, it seems like both teams kind of got what they wanted there. They, he got rid of Leonard and, you know, the, the Thunder were able to turn um, Ariza into a second round pick and dump a little bit of salary at the same time. So, you know, it's just Sam Presti doing what he's been doing ever since he, you know, took over as GM for this team, you know, just making moves like that, little things. Uh, like you said, Ben, it could end up paying off as an asset in a trade at some point down the line. Uh, maybe when the Thunder are in rebuild mode, you know, and they need to go out and make a move for a playoff run or something. So um, just something put aside, you know, um, worked out for both teams. Yeah, I guess one, I guess the my biggest thought on this was how weird it was, you know, just for five seconds to see Myers Leonard come into Oklahoma City and be like, uh, what? Because in right, if it wasn't, if this was, you know, a normal job, not the NBA, right? You would just, you know, fire Myers Leonard. But the way contracts work in the NBA, if you cut him, you just still have to pay a salary to him. So instead the Heat kind of used his salary to make this trade work. So in a way, Myers Leonard, the person didn't even get traded, just Myers Leonard, the contract did. But that's just kind of a weird byproduct of how, you know, the cap works in the NBA and how contracts work, that Myers Leonard was still technically an employee of the Miami Heat and is now technically an employee of the Oklahoma City Thunder, which is, you know, not a great taste to have in your mouth. But I mean, the Thunder in their statement put it about the trade, like put out that uh, Myers Leonard will not be coming to Oklahoma City and will not be, I think the term they used was, will not be an active member of the organization. I think Presti does care about how Oklahoma City is perceived and the reputation of the team. And he definitely puts a value on culture and things like that. So I think it was, and that's a nice thing as a fan, right? Because you don't want to be um, in a position where you're trying to justify a guy doing something like that. So it was good that the Thunder didn't put their fans kind of in that position, right? They just were willing to take on the contract to make this trade work, but this guy's not going to be a part of our team. I thought that was the best way they could have handled that. So moving on to some players who are, um, actually going to play and continue to play for the Thunder. We wanted to talk about the two kind of starting forwards, at least at the start of the season for this team, Lou Dort and Darius Baisley. Um, a little news on both of them. I guess we'll start with Dort. Um, so the news there was Dort, the remaining two seasons of his contract have been fully uh, guaranteed by the Thunder. The Thunder have him on a minimum contract, which has got to be one of the best values in the league. I know his offensive game is still a work in progress, but it's better than last year. And obviously, um, you can probably count on one hand, maybe two hands, the guys who bring more value on the defensive end. And Trey, you kind of wrote something up for us on the site about Lou Dort, about his development, the season he's having. Um, so just uh, give us give us some Dort talk, Trey. Let's talk about something happy after these two bad games this week. Yeah, uh, well, no, I mean, over the last couple of weeks, uh, it's been pretty evident. His defense all year long has been pretty evident. Um, night in and night out, the guy draws the toughest assignments in the league. Um, and post game a few weeks ago, uh, Dagnall kind of talked about uh, just how good he is and what goes into his defense and, you know, the way he's able to stay and hit off screens and draw those offensive fouls that he's been known for. So 
Um, and his teammates kind of raved about him. I think Shea, you know, uh, surprised some people the other night when he said he thinks he's the best on-ball defender in the game. Um, it's hard to argue with that, you know. Uh, there may be some better players like Ben Simmons comes to mind um, who have a little bit more size, a little bit more physicality. But um, when it comes to just sticking with a guy and, you know, following a guy around and battling over screens or getting over and under screens, um, Dort's the best guy in the league, uh, and his teammates are obviously glad to have him. Uh, the organization's glad to have him um, get uh, buying those two years. You know, he's a part of the future, I think. So um, defensively, the Thunder have something to build on and somebody to kind of, you know, um, wrap around the team, you know, help Shea out. And, you know, where they go from here, he's only going to be a part of, part of them long term. Yeah, I think it's weird that we're talking about him tonight because actually – this wasn't his best defensive game either, but the Thunder as a team were pretty bad defensively. I'm not trying to lay it on his feet, but Trey, Trey got loose from a couple of times for threes, but I was just struck when that happened. I was like, oh, that's weird that that happened. And then I thought about it and I'm like, it's weird that I'm saying that's weird that that happens because that happens to everybody. But Dort is is quite good at staying connected through screens, to your point, on guys. Um, I think normally, I think he had his best guarding guys a little bigger than Trey, like James Harden in the playoffs last year, obviously it was like, the ideal matchup for Dort like size-wise and for what Harden wants to do and what Dort is good at taking away but he he's defended all types of guys he's defended guys the size of LeBron and he'll take guys as small and you know scrappy and quick as Trey Young so really across the whole spectrum uh JD you got any anything on Dort you want to you want to throw out there I think now we're starting into the important these next few years are going to be important I would say because you know Dort I think he will improve to be an league average three-point shooter I think that's totally with possible. And a league average three-point shooter and someone who's an all-defensive team kind of guy, he commands a lot of money on the open market. And I think it's going to be very important for Presti to start getting those negotiations in place and get Dort signed to a contract extension soon. If he hits the open market, anything can happen and you might lose him for nothing. And there is no real benefit in that for the Thunder, letting somebody walk that you spent all this time trying to develop. I think it's just important to try to get an extension in place, even if you overpay slightly. Say you pay him $16 million a year for the next four years. I reckon he'll grow into that contract pretty quite nicely, given his uh, willingness to drive. And I think what he is projected improvements in terms of shooting and obviously his defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, Andre Roberson made, what, $10 million a year, something like that, at the end of his OKC contract, and he never learned how to shoot. Um. Yeah, the interesting thing for me this season has been Dort's offensive development, right? Like the three-point shooting is better. He's still not to league average, but he's 32%, 33%, somewhere around there, right, Trey? Um, yeah, he was somewhere around there. And he was wor- worse than that last year. But his willingness to um, kind of drive and attack the rim, right? Like not always when uh, defenses sag off him, does he just take the three that they're giving him? He'll try to drive into the paint. And sometimes it is a disaster, right? He'll commit a charge or just kind of barf up the ball. But sometimes he'll make a nice read out of that and kick it out or make a, a good finish at the rim. And just that he's willing to do that. Again, that's something like Roberson never really added to his game, right? Roberson would either take those wide open threes or kick the ball on. And when Roberson scored in the paint, it was he'd make like a backdoor cut or something like that. He was pretty good at those. Um, but Dort actually is willing to kind of do something with the ball in his hands with a live dribble and try to make something happen. And he's not great at it yet. The numbers don't like it at all so far, but he just looks a little more dynamic to me last year and a little more confident. And, you know, he can take as many of those opportunities as he wants this year. The Thunder don't have real playoff aspirations, but if right. 
the three point shot comes around and then he's just a good three and D guy, then he's valuable, more valuable than he is now. But if he adds the ability to also kind of attack closeouts and things like that, then he becomes even more valuable. So the more he's willing, he can add to his game, the better. Um, and I like that he's at least willing to experiment. Don't know if I'll ever get to the point where it's something we want him doing in a playoff game, but he has the confidence he's trying it. And I, that's something I'm going to keep watching um, the rest of the season and even into next season, like how much Dort can do besides just take open threes on offense. I think that, that kind of determines the ceiling for him, right? Because his floor is already set by just how fantastic of a defender he is. Yeah, and how athletic he is and, you know, how much energy he plays with. And I think it's interesting you brought up Roberson. You know, over the years, the, the Thunder have kind of had a little bit of a legacy as, you know, uh, defensive players, even dating back to Tabo Cephalosha. Mm-hmm. So, honestly, out of those three guys, Roberson, Cephalosha, Dort, I don't know if Dort's the best defender out of those three, but – He's probably the best offensive player out of those three, able to hit those threes, able to drive, able to do some more things. So, you know, he's got a little more flexibility, uh, like you said, than Roberson. He's probably a little bit better than Cephalosha was. So, you know, going forward, the Thunder definitely have this 3 and D guy they can build around. Valente, do you have anything to add on Dort? Well, I think picking up his two guaranteed uh, years left was a fairly easy decision considering like he's probably like one of the best value contracts in the league. And I think Dort is probably two Dort and SGA are probably two of the five starters of the next like contending OKC team team. And I think Dort uh, really benefits from the fact that he was here since basically the, re- the beginning of the rebuild because these these uh, first couple of years, he's going to be able to like experiment, uh, develop his offensive game. That's something guys like Cephalosha and Roberson didn't have when they were drafted by OKC. They basically just had to learn on the fly while the team was contending. So they didn't have as much room for error when it came to like developing their offensive game. And I think if everything goes to plan and OKC should be contending like two, three, four years from now, that could really benefit OKC because Dort is probably going to be like the fourth, fifth offensive option. And him having a really polished offensive game should really uh, raise OKC ceiling when it comes to like potentially being a title contender for several years. Yeah, hundred percent. If you're the fifth option on offense, like you're saying, you don't need to be JJ Redick as a three point shooter. You just need to be like PJ Tucker or someone like not even PJ Tucker because he was actually pretty good at corner threes, but just like someone who can hit threes at a league average rate, and then you're a helpful player with them with how good his defense is. Um. And so, as mentioned, we wanted to talk a little bit about the former starting forward for the Thunder, who's uh, missed some a good deal of time with injury, Darius Baisley. Clemente, we had a little bit of a, a news update on him. Yeah, Dylan mentioned pregame today before the Hawks game that Baisley's injury is a week-to-week thing now before it was considered day-to-day. And I guess he's just dealing with shoulder uh, shoulder stuff. He didn't really go into detail to what specifically is going on with his shoulder, but I think all we know for sure is that his shoulder is probably uh, bothering him yeah, it'll be interesting. I guess I'll, I'll ask you guys uh, when, if, when Baisley comes back week, two weeks, um, do the Thunder keep starting him and put Poku on the bench? Do they keep starting Poku, put Baisley on the bench? Do they try to start both of them together? What would, what would you guys do in coach Mark's shoes? Go ahead, JD. I mean, I think before Baisley obviously picks up his injury before the all-star break, he already did seem to be having a couple of issues and it was certainly an idea that I'd kicked around that maybe you move Baisley to the bench to try to uh, take him out the firing line a little bit and make sure his confidence is just not taking such a beating every single night. 
perhaps this is the way to do that. You bring Baisley off the bench, you give him a good amount of minutes and you just try to build him back up again. Because during the first half of the season, you could clearly see that he went from being 100 to zero uh, during the games because his body language was not good. Uh, personally, I think that this injury in a weird sort of way is the perfect way to manage uh, his return and get him back onto the court and try to build him back up again. Yeah, Baisley's one of those dudes that, you know, has shown some promise this year. But like JD said, his confidence kind of seemed like it was down going into the All-Star break. So, you know, maybe this little lapse in time here, missing some time um, can, you know, change some things for him. Maybe he comes in and comes off the bench or, you know, maybe he, he plays a little bit different role. You know, maybe it's one of those situations where Dagnall and Presti are just kind of, you know, trying to tinker with things with him too and, you know, figure where he works best, best with some of these guys. So, um, I'm not sure exactly what they'll do. You know, right now I don't think there's any, you know, firm answer on what the Thunder are doing as far as lineups and rotations and stuff. But um, I, he's definitely got a spot on the team when he gets back. It's just going to be interesting to see, you know, how long it takes and, you know, what the transition will be like when he does get back, if he's going to play limited minutes, um, come off the bench, that type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, before the pre-injury, I was – I think Baisley was of all the kind of young guys on Oklahoma city besides maybe Poku, which is a different case. Cause he was a rookie kind of had the most disappointing season uh, to date, right? Like SGA obviously took a huge loop leap forward. Lou Dort improved his offensive game while being the same defensive guy. Baisley looks a little bit better than his rookie year to me. The three point shot has not come around at all. He's shooting like 29% or something like that this year. And he was, I think 34% his rookie or something like that, but on like a low volume of attempts, um, so I wasn't super confident about his three-point shot, and it's been worse than expected this year. And his two-point finishing, he's a super athletic guy, um, which you'll see when he occasionally gets like in the um, in transition, right? He'll get to the rim and make some pretty athletic finishes, some nice dunks, some nice layups. But in half-court sets, he kind of starts driving into the paint and he puts his head down. And then he gets in there and you know, help defenses come over, and he's not at the level where he's making good reads very often. And so he'll lose his dribble won't have, won't know where to go with the pass. And it'll kind of just throw some uh, pretty weak attempt up and that gets knocked away a lot. So his finishing at the rim is still quite bad when it's a true like one-on-one situation. I think his athleticism and the kind of feel for the game he has, he'll get some nice finishes, but in the full like five on five setting, it's just the finishing at the rim isn't there because the um, ability to kind of read the game with a live dribble just isn't there yet when he's you know just holding the ball he'll sometimes make like a nice pass or make make the nice uh the next read things like that but with a live he just hasn't put it all together uh yet as a complete player and it doesn't look that much better than his rookie season on that front um and we'll have to see right like next year will be his third season so he'll definitely still be part of the team barring some weird trade but Dort's going to get a starting spot poku is going to be coming for a starting spot if he improves the thunder are going to have hopefully two top 10 picks in the draft between their own and Houston. Those guys could be forwards who could be looking for minutes. Um, so Baisley's definitely going to need over the, the rest of this season, once he comes back from injury to kind of show a little bit more than he's shown so far, if he wants to start next year. And, you know, as next year goes along towards the end of the third year of, right. We saw what happens if you're getting towards the end of the third year and you're uh, not in Oklahoma city's long-term plans. That's why Namadu Diallo doesn't play for the thunder anymore. Right. He was actually improving in his third season, but, Presti, I think, kind of viewed him as not a core piece of the team going forward. It was shift him out for value. I mean, if Baisley doesn't take an, at least a moderate-sized leap, I would say I, I could see the same thing happening to him. 
How much, uh, how much do you think Baisley's shooting struggles this season has to do with the shoulder injury? Could, do you think it could have been something he's been playing through and OKC finally told him just sit down, rehab it, instead of trying to play through it? Totally possible. I mean, I'm not any sort of like medical expert, but uh, if your shoulder is injured, it's going to be hard to shoot a basketball, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that because, you know, the shot, he was hitting it more last year. I mean, the form doesn't look too different to me this year than last year. Um, but it's certainly possible that's played into it. If the Thunder know that, you know, that's going to measure in how they, um, how they value him as well. Um, but if he just isn't able to hit the three-point shot consistently, it's hard to um, see him as a starting level player. If the three-point shot does come around, then like his ability to um, drive and kick becomes more valuable, right? Because if he gets a guy to bite on the pump fake, drives into the lane, he only has to finish over one guy where he gets in the problem is when the defense is able to send help in the paint. And that's where his, uh, his sheer athleticism doesn't do enough to actually get the points on the board. Yeah, that's a good point, Clemente. I, I don't think that they're, you know, going to try to force anything at this point in the season, at this point in the rebuild or anything like that. You know, it does give them a good opportunity to see some guys in some different roles and, Obviously, Poku's benefited. He's gotten a start. Uh, Roby's, Roby's gotten a start. So, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the injury happened on the practice right before the first game after the All-Star break. Um, so, I'm not exactly sure how much time he's had to, you know, work with it and work through it. But um, I, if this may be a different year, different player, different team, they might try to get him in the lineup and try to let him play through it. But right now, it's more of an opportunity for other guys, you know, and, and for Presti and uh, Dagnall to see other guys. I think it's one of those things. I, I know the bubble was very much one of those sort of like an isolated sample that you'll never get again, judging just by how the gym was. And if you look at overall shooting increase for everybody, but basically when he was in the bubble, was shooting it with a lot of confidence. He was in rhythm. He seemed to trust his jumper. And then he started the season and I think he started really poorly. I think at one point he was hovering around like 13, 14% for at least a decent portion of the season. And I think when you see that the shot is not going in when you're taking it, there's always a natural tendency for you to start changing things around, you know, say a little uh, 5% here and 5% there. And then soon enough, what you believe is the same shot is totally different. And all the mechanics that you've worked on to get it to work, you know, properly, they're now kind of off. And that's perhaps what's happened with Baisley, is that in his desperation to try to get a shot to go down, he's trying to do too much with it or he's not trusting himself. It's a bit of a frustrating thing, but if he can sort of try to regain that confidence and try to build himself, you know, if the Thunder can get him back in that rhythm where he trusts himself on offense again, I think that shot will come around. I'm not worried about it. Yeah, maybe I'm just the pessimist of the group. (laughs) Um, You guys got any final thoughts? I think we covered most of what we had on the agenda, but if you guys got anything else to uh, throw out there, we got like 10, uh, eight minutes left on the Zoom call. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Svi kind of, I don't even know, want to attempt trying to say his last name, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of works his way into that, into the second unit. And, you know, as he starts to get more minutes, how the Thunder, you know, kind of develop around him, maybe he kind of gives them what Diallo was giving them. Cause you know, Diallo brought a lot. They're going to have to figure out something if they want to win some games here, or, you know, if they want to get a little bit of a punch off the bench, uh, maybe he's got a little bit of an answer. Obviously, they're going to switch the rotation up some more, so who knows. But I'll be interested to see how he plays and, you know, how they work him into the rotation a little bit more as they go along. 
I want to see how OKC handles Al Horford's minutes, especially after next week, if he's still team because they've been resting him a lot more recently so i want to see how they're going to monitor his minutes and see if whether or not they just straight up rest him more games and limit his minutes just because okc you know is trying to lose more games now and they don't want horford to like get injured in a season that's basically meaningless so it's gonna be interesting to see how to handle horford's minutes if he ends up staying put after the tread deadline I think the interesting thing for me is that on Woj's pod earlier today, he said that the Thunder are constantly getting calls for Horford, Hill, uh, Muscala and Kenrich Williams. And first, I'd be more inclined to keep Kenrich around for the next couple of years, but I'd be interested to see what sort of return that the Thunder could get for him at the de- you know, if they were to trade him at the deadline. I think it would be quite interesting. I think he's probably worth a first-round pick if judging by his contracts and his value that he brings. And... I'd be interested to see if Presti actually takes that decision to consider whether he believes that he's part of the core going forward or if he's just another trade asset. One thing I'm going to keep my eye on a little bit, um, the one part of the game against the um, against the Hawks tonight uh, where the Thunder looked pretty decent was near the end of the first quarter when they went on a little run where they played Shea, Maladon, and Jerome, all three point guards together, and it looked pretty good, partly because Maladon and Jerome hit their threes. Obviously, if they're missing their threes, it doesn't look as good, but those are two of the better three-point shooters on the team, Um, and it gives a little more spacing for Shea's driving game, and it gives a little guys who can do some more secondary creation. Um, Both Jerome and Maladon have the ability to at least put the ball in the deck and try to make something happen. Uh, Maladon had a couple really nice uh, plays getting to the rim tonight. He blew one of the finishes, but he did a good job getting to the rim and Jerome can, um, especially against a scattered defense, kind of drive it into the paint a little bit and try to find an open shooter or an open dump off. Um, just anything that takes a little bit of the burden off SGA. And especially because we saw how much the, uh, the three point guard lineup of Schroeder, Chris Paul and SGA worked last year, obviously Ty Jerome and uh, tail Maladon are nowhere near the level of players that Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder are, but the principle is kind of still there, right? Three guys who can shoot and three guys who can put the ball in the deck and Shea seems to work well in that system. Um, I'll be interested to see if Dagnall uh, keeps trying that over the next couple of weeks and if they even try starting all three of those guys at some point. That is going to do it for this episode, I think. We'll be back uh, probably this weekend, early next week to uh, talk about the uh, upcoming trade deadline, most likely. Um, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, Talk to you soon.